I can see all your faces out here, but we'll get through this together. Hopefully within the next couple of weeks, uh, we'll be able to meet together. Um, I just want to encourage you to continue to look at uh, our website and everything else as we continue to make adjustments. I'm going to have some singing this morning, and I want to remind you that during this time, as far as your offering is concerned, you can give online, um, you can text, you can give by texting, or you can simply mail it or drop it by the office. So, uh, Gary, I do appreciate, we appreciate financial assistance, especially during this time. But uh, those are the options that you have. Uh, remember, for prayer requests, you can send that to me on our homepage as well. And that information comes to me only through my email account. So uh, I hope everything is going well. We'll bring some DVDs. I'm trying to work that situation out so we can get the DVDs in the hands of people who would like to have them. Rashawn is going to help with that on Wednesday. So there's some announcements that I want to make you aware of. Let's start our worship this morning with the word of prayer. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity. Father, to gather, although we're not physically but spiritually together, to worship in the time and name of Jesus. I pray, dear God, that you push every worry and anxiety out of our minds and hearts this morning and help us stay focused on you. We want to hear from you this morning, oh God. We ask that you mold us and shape us into men and women you call us to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Good morning. It's good to be in the sanctuary again. Uh, I, I encourage as you're in your living room, in your den, in your dining room, gathered around the table, that you uh, sing sing these songs together as a family, as a group, by yourself, along with me. Uh, as I was doing my own personal Bible study, I came across this song, which seemed appropriate. Psalms 48:10. As is your name, O God, so is your praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Oh God, you are my God. I will ever praise you. Oh God, you are my God. I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning. I will learn to walk in your ways. Step by step, you'll lead me. And I will follow you all of my days. I will follow you all of my days. And I will follow you all of my days. Step by step, you'll lead me. Follow you all of my days. 
grown story how the Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning of his precious blood's atoning. I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and thought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about his healing of his cleansing power how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see and then I cried dear Jesus come and heal my broken spirit and somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory. And I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea. About the angels singing and the old redemption story. And some sweet day I'll sing up there this song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me. And bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood.
Good morning again. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 16, verses, verses 13 through 20. The Easter challenge we're talking about the need for the church. Let's read our text together first. Matthew chapter 13, verses 16, excuse me, Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, or the region of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Son of Lord Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it or prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Heavenly Father, speak to us through your word this morning. As we ask for your congregation and the world hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As a way of introduction, there's no disputing that. Church attendance has been in decline for the past few years. However, it's not as straightforward as you may think it is. According to Tom Rainer, former CEO of Blackway Christian Resources, he says this, quote, The number one reason for the decline in church attendance is that members attend with less frequency than they did just a few years ago. He goes on to say, about 20 years ago, a church member was considered active in the church if he or she attended three times a week. Today, a church member is considered active in the church if he or she attends three times a month. So you see, the large part of the change that we see happening in church attendance is not actually fewer believers. Rather, it's less consistent worship. And Pastor Kerry Newhoff gives a number of reasons why this trend continues to increase. He says families are putting a higher focus on kids' activities. Uh, when I was a kid, I imagine when most of you were growing up, schools did not hold events on Sundays. Uh, our school district here, of course, doesn't do it on Sundays either, but that is changing throughout the country. And then we have kids only a few kids back when I was growing up were on select teams or traveling teams. You have these select teams now that travel all over the state and sometimes all over the country to compete in sporting events. And more often than not, that commitment to that sport or event undercuts the commitment to coming together together as the church. You also have blended and single parent families that have to split time between parents. And that often hurts them coming together as a family into a church setting to worship. There's online options for spiritual growth resources that have changed 
uh, worship habits. And it's kind of interesting to me when this thing is all over and said and done with so many of us streaming on the internet. I wonder how that's going to affect worship in the next month, two months, three months, four months down the road. I'll be interested to see that because there is a lot of good resources out there for us on the internet. And he says last week, he said this, uh, Pastor Gary Newhoff, that people just don't feel that guilty about not coming to church anymore. Now, many pastors are concerned about these trends and they're frustrated with the change that we've seen in our culture. And I have to admit that, yes, I'm concerned as well, but I'm not afraid or not that much worried about it. Because these are the times that you and I have been given. God could have made me a pastor of the church at any given time throughout the course of human history, but yet he's placed me here at Forsberg in this moment, in this time. He could have placed you at any time as well, but you're living right now in the year 2020 throughout this pandemic. Here are the times in which we find ourselves. He put us here for a reason. And first Chronicles 12 lists mighty men and warriors that came to fight and help King David. In fact, in verse 32 of First Chronicles 12, it says this. Of the sons of Iskar, men who understood the times with the knowledge of what Israel should do, their chiefs were 200, and all their kinsmen were at their command. Now perhaps these men understood the times and knew David was a better choice. Perhaps they had a deep understanding of fighting, of human nature, or even politics. Either way, this verse shows us that we can ignore the times around us, watch them pass us by, or we can understand the times in which God has placed us and respond to these times, these conditions, these circumstances with the wisdom that God gives us. And just as the men of this car put their lot in with David's success, I can tell you that I am putting my lot in with the local church. Because we're living in a time when the church is relevant and is so desperately needed. The first part of our passage, verses 13 through 18 of Matthew 16, the amazing beginnings. They went into the district of Caesarea Philippi and Jesus turns to them and says, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now having crossed the lake, they head upstream along the Jordan River to the headwaters of the Jordan near Caesarea Philippi, approximately 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And it was recently named, renamed by Philip the Tetrarch. The he did that to honor himself and Augustus Caesar. Now this place was the center of worship for the Greek god Pan. There was a cave, and inside that cave, Almost a bottomless pit with unlimited water supply. They really fascinated the ancients back then. And they looked at it as a place of the gate of Hades. That's what it was called. And before that, the Canaanites had built a sanctuary to Baal. And it was in this very area that Jeroboam, the first king of the northern kingdom, had led the people into Arthur. So there's a lot of symbolism here. So Jesus took the disciples to a place that represented uh, worship of idols, a, a place that a good Jewish person would not find themselves, on, on the edge of hell almost. And here he is asking his disciples in this context, who do people say that I am? And you can see their answer in the text. They say, some John the Baptist, others Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now all these opinions show that he was, Jesus was very popular in all these opinions of who he is are complimentary. 
The crowds view him as some sort of spokesman for God. Now John the Baptist, they say some say John the Baptist recalls Herod's fear to be five back in Matthew chapter 14, verse 2. Herod thought he had, he had uh, John the Baptist had written again because you know, King Herod had John the Baptist beheaded and he was fearful that now this is John the Baptist resurrected coming in him. Elijah represents Messianic forerunner of Old Testament prophecy. And, and Jeremiah, perhaps Jesus was like a Jeremiah, a preacher of judgment and repentance that was rejected by the leadership of his nation. Other prophetic options, no doubt, were inspired by Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 through 18. It says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like a man from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is according to all you have asked of the Lord your God before it on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire anymore, or I will die. The Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among the countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So, People are looking. They have these prophets and this prophecy. They're looking at maybe Jesus is the fulfillment of Deuteronomy. So the disciples are giving him all the all the opinions they've heard other people talk about who Jesus is. Now Jesus turns the conversation just a little bit here, but he says, "Who do you say that I am?" And of course, Peter answers, "You are the Christ, the Son of the Living God." He is pressing the disciples further. Because the you is emphatic. So it's not like who you say I am. It's more like who, who do you say that I am. So he's really put emphasis on you tell me what you think. But tell me what these people over here think. Or what these people over here think. You tell me what you think who I am. And as a side note, when all this comes to a screeching halt one day and Jesus returns, it's not going to matter what you thought of me and what I think of you. Only thing that's going to matter is who do we say Jesus Christ is? We cannot hide behind what this person did not do or did. We cannot justify ourselves by the actions or inactions of others. It matters today so much so, who do you say Jesus Christ is? And you, got, you can't push that on anyone else. You have to answer that for yourself. And the I here makes it clear that the Son of Man, remember when he asked them really, who do people say the Son of Man is? Now he turns it to I. So it's clear that the Son of Man that's mentioned in verse 13 is Jesus. And Peter answers as a spoke, spokesman here because the disciples were addressed collectively. And this is the first time in the Gospel of Matthew that anyone acknowledges Jesus as the Christ. And by the way, the Christ is not his last name. The Christ is a title. Christ means Messiah. It means Anointed one. And it's the first time you see that happen in the Gospel of Matthew. He adds the title of Son of God. You see that back in Matthew chapter 14, 33 as well. Apparently, he has a deeper appreciation for Jesus' unique relationship to the Father, but a full or Trinitarian theology will not develop until later. Did you know something else he says? He says, The living that's a very characteristic of a Jew, how they would refer to God. In other words, he is the living God. He's not one of his life, lifeless idols. He is the living God. It's also a reminder that Yahweh 
The Lord has life in himself, and he alone can impart to others. And Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Jesus begins with a beatitude, praising Peter's reply. He addresses Peter by his full name and attributes Peter's insight, not to human deduction or human reasoning, but divine insight that his Father in Heaven told Peter about. Now, we don't know how God revealed that to Peter. We're not told that. But Jesus is affirming, yes, that has been revealed to you by my Father. Nothing you could ever think of. And it reminds me, Scripture tells us our faith, we cannot declare that Jesus is the Son of God on our own. It's the Holy Spirit that reveals that to us. Or even our faith is a gift from God. It goes on to say, I also say to you that you are Peter. Upon this rock I will build my church. Now, the Greek word for Peter is Petros. And the Greek word for rock is Petra. So he says, I say to you that you are Petros. And upon this Petra, I will build my church. It's like a play on words going on here. Now, we don't see any long doctrine being developed out of this as far as he's going to be the first of us following succession. What Jesus is telling him, because of that confession, because of who you are, and you're recognizing who I am, and you're confessing that before these men, it's upon that I'm going to build the church. And, and Peter, you don't have a big role in doing that. It's going to be one of those living stones that builds up the church. That word, that the word play, it'd be like Jesus saying to you, hey, your name is Rocky, and upon this rock I build my church. And by the way, that word church is the Greek word ecclesia. Now, if you look all through the New Testament, ecclesia is never translated building. It's always translated an assembly or a gathering, and some translations at the time were translated as congregation. Here's my point. The ecclesia, the church, is never referred to in the Bible as a building. It's always referred to a gathering of people, specifically people who follow Christ. Now, we have this nice facility, although all of you are not here today because of what's going on with this pandemic, but this building is nice. It's a very nice facility. It's nice to have a place you can come in out of the rain, a place you can come and have air conditioning, you can have the heat in the summertime, because here in Texas, we basically have two seasons, right? Winter and summer. We have a little spring, a little fall, but not much. But it's nice to have a place you can come into to get out of the elements. But this, this building does not constitute the church. What constitutes this local body is the membership, the people who join this church and say, this is where God wants me to serve Him through this local body, through this local gathering of followers of Christ. We just use this building to do different events to have that gathering. But I have to say this one more time. The church is not a building. And I would challenge you to go back and look for yourself in Scripture and see anywhere the word church is mentioned. Is it referring to a building or is it referring to a gathering of people? Jesus is the foundation of everything the church does. It is built upon the platform and foundation of Christ. And like I said this a minute ago, Peter is the first stone used in that building. We find in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Coming to him as a living stone, that is Jesus, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. 
Jesus is the living stone. He is the cornerstone. He is the foundation. But look what he says, continuing on in that passage, 1 Peter 2, 4 and 5. You also are living stones, are being built up as spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, it's not Jesus, uh, he's passing all this authority and power just to Peter himself. He's saying, Peter, because of your faith and your willingness to confess it and your willingness to receive it from my God in heaven, I will use you to build up my church. And by the way, here are all these living stones, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, verses 4 and 5, to be built up into that house. And look what he says next. The gates or forces of Hades will not overpower or prevail against it. Now what's interesting about this, in other Jewish literature, the gates of Hades is an idiom for powers of death. Well, what is an idiom? We use idioms all the time. It's like if I buy a new car and I, I'm driving here, and you look, hey Tim, how do you like a new car? I said, it's a limit. Wait a second, do you buy a car? But I'm describing the car as a little bit of a car good, it's a piece of junk, whatever it is. This is an idiom here being used. And that interpretation fits better in the historical context we see because of the increasing hostility. Now, Jesus speaks about a parable of the mustard seed that promises large results in Matthew 13, verses 31 through 33, with widespread impact despite discouraging beginnings. So he's talking about a faith of a mustard seed. You can move mountains. Of course, hostility is starting to build at this point. You already have the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Pharisees, and the Sadducees trying to build a case against Christ. And here's my point. Irrespective of how Christianity may be attacked in a given time and place, the church will never be extinguished. But be extinguished. There is times in history we have no record of the New Testament church or we would consider a New Testament church. There are times in history where this we just don't see the evidence of. Well, my response is that's the reason why it's called the dark ages. It was just really dark. But I know a church had exist somewhere because if it didn't, that contradicts what Jesus is saying right here. That he's going to build his church and nothing will prevail against it. So the church has existed. Always has and always will until Jesus comes back to take his bride back with him, which is the Ecclesia, the church. Then we see tremendous trust in verses 19 and 20. What incredible power and responsibility Jesus Gives the church. Now we know only God can forgive sins and only God can save people. So this is not the power to go around and ability to say, you're saved, you're not saved, you're saved. No, that's not what it's about. Let me explain it to you this way. Imagine, for example, just imagine the gospel is like a 2020 a Shelby, Mustang Shelby GT350. That car has everything it needs to accomplish the mission for which it was built. We're not going to improve the performance or the power of that car. We just open up the car door and we do this with you and push it our foot on the pavement. It's not going to affect it. We can't improve it. It has everything it needs. And here's my point. The power to bring freedom and to break chains is found in the gospel itself. There is power in God's word. There is power in the gospel. The gospel does not need us. 
But Jesus values you and I so much that he wants to be in a relationship with us so deeply that he wants us to be part of his work. So he says, here's the gospel, here are the keys, where do you want to take it? The church has the authority to bring the full power and truth of heaven with it to a hurting and simple world. Or you can say, no, we're just going to keep that nice car, we're going to keep the gospel, and that industry's not abused in the back of the car, in the garage, we're not going to miss it. See, God is not something I'm supposed to hoard. The word is not the word is not something I'm supposed to hoard, hold on to for myself and say, well, if they want to hear about it, they know the church is at this big steeple. No, I can go out there and to realize there's power in the gospel. Now, we change the methodology of it. Like right now, I'm not writing you a letter. I'm not on the phone. I'm live streaming through the internet on our website and on Facebook Live. But the message has not changed. I'm talking about power of gospel. So no matter what we come up with, the games, uh, VBS decorations, those things are great, but they're supposed to be a springboard to get people into the Word. Because all those decorations are nice, but they do not have the power that the Word of God has. It doesn't have the power that gospel has. All that people need is in that God. I've seen the gospel change people's lives. I've seen God do amazing things that only God can do. Oh, yeah, they came in, so it was a nice church, nice facility, got nice views. And those things are important because we want to show them that this is important to us. We really believe this, but we never change the content of the message, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's my point. We should be all caught up in making sure that things are nice and polished and looks professional. Those things do communicate that, yes, I take this very seriously because this is the answer that mankind needs to hear. The answer that mankind is desperately to respond to. But this, as great as this live streaming is and getting out there and going out to God who's watching me right now, all the people around the world can be watching me right now. But that's not the power. The power is found in the gospel. We also find out that we are better together. And I've heard many people say that they hate organized religion. And I understand why, because throughout history, we have forgotten our mission and purpose. We have to be careful, church. We don't forget what our mission and our purpose is. We sometimes think church is all about structure and hierarchy, when it's really about the people that we're trying to reach. And when we do organize, we do get some things done. See, God has called us to gather together to find ways to live, share, and spread the truth and the power of the gospel. We have a common mission and call, and we cannot complete it without each other. Paul speaks of this by using an analogy of the body in Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 6. For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given us, each of us is an exercise of a party. In other words, imagine all you have is a thumb, you had no finger. What, what can a thumb do by itself? Well, I guess you can put it out and hitchhike and want to ride, maybe clean your ears to Someone's too loud. But you put a fingers and hands with the thumb. That much more you can do. You can grasp things. You can take a, a lump of clay, put it on a wheel, you can 
mold it and shape it. You can grab it. You lift things up. So much more you can do. It's the same way with the body of Christ. Our different gifts working together in conjunction with one another open up many ministry opportunities that we can never imagine on our own. And a perfect example of this in Southern Baptist life is the Carpenter program. This local body, this local ecclesia cannot afford to send a missionary out by itself to really uh, take care of that missionary the way it needs to happen, teaching the missionary about the culture and the language and go and make sure he, has, he or she has people they can check in with. We just don't throw them out there to the and have to support them. And a lot goes into that. We have the International Mission Board and the North American Mission Board that do that for us, and we give that money to them through the proper program. But it's not just giving money. There's many opportunities and we can go with them. In fact, we have a missionary opportunity coming up. Very soon. And maybe even now you're starting to feel like something in your heart. I promise you this. You go on any mission trip. I don't care if it's here in the States or across or overseas somewhere. It will change you. We are so blessed in this country beyond your wildest dreams. Even here in our own country. And until we step out of our little comfort zone, let God put us in areas that we would normally go, that we start to see that. The trends may say the church attendance is down, but we don't have to subject ourselves to the trends of culture, do we? In fact, we are called to change and shape our world together with the power of the gospel. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stimulate or provoke, stir up one another to love and good deeds. How do we do that? Not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day draw near. One day is he referring to the singing coming of Christ. We gather together. One reason we gather together is encourage one another. To pray with one another, to weep with one another, to laugh with one another. That's because we come together. And we, we talk about what God's done in our week and how God's living in our lives. We have a burden to share. We gather together to encourage one another. And come together and go before the throne of grace together to find help in time of need. We are relational beings. And anything this pandemic has taught us all is that we miss our social connections. People are going stir crazy because they've been sitting in the house a long time. They have interaction with me. They're, they're hungry for interaction with another human being. And perhaps even now, people say, I miss going to church. No, you're missing assembling as a church with other believers. You're missing that context. You're missing the love and the prayers and the worship. Everything goes into That's what you're missing. That's what you're longing for. We look forward we can gather back together. The main reason, no matter what we know, the main reason that we gather together every week. By the way, if you're wondering, it's not about you, it's not about me. It's all about our Creator, our Sustainer, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Deliverer, and our Protector. Every week we gather together, we pray, we read his word, 
We sing songs of praise and we worship Him. Why do we do this? Because He alone is worthy of all our praise and adoration. First Chronicles 16, verse 29. Describe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in holy array or in the splendor of His holiness. Going before God. Coming before Him as an ecclesia in the splendor of His holiness. To worship God is to declare who God is and what place he has in our lives. As we make that declaration, our hearts and minds will line up with the truth of our worship. Because worship, true worship, actually transforms us. C.S. Lewis put it this way, quote, In the process of being worshipped, God communicates his presence to men. As we worship together, we draw near to God. Matthew 18, verse 20. For two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. See, gathering together is an essential part of our first relationship to God. Even if we don't get anything out of worship, we should still gather together to worship for no other reason than God deserves it. A.W. Tozer said, quote, Sometimes I go to God and say, God, if thou dost never answer another prayer where I live on this earth, I will still worship thee as long as I live and in the needs to come for what thou hast done already. God is not suffering from low self-esteem where he needs our worship. He is not lacking our praise. He simply deserves it. And our time together provides a wonderful opportunity for each of us to express thanks to our Savior. This is the need title of this message, The Need of the Church. And I'm going to end right where I started. The church is just as relevant today as it has been throughout the course of human history. The church is desperately needed, perhaps now more than ever. We are called to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And the Forest River Baptist Church is bringing home this a little bit closer. We are called to be people who live by faith and who are known by God. Are you putting God in first place? Are you serving God through the local life? If you're not a member and active in a church, by the way, active is more than three times. <laughs> it's three times a month. Three times a week, no, it shouldn't be just three times a month. Are you actively serving? Are you using your gifts to build up the body? This building, beautiful. The sanctuary, very, very nice. But this is just breaking away. This is not a church. The church is made up of people who profess faith in Christ who are disciples of Christ, followers of Christ. That is the church. And listen to the promise. Nothing can tear it down. Nothing. Go back with me. Think of where Jesus talked to the disciples about where this passage took place. In the midst of idol worship, 
backslidden believers, Jeroboam, the Lord, came away. All that happened right there. What that symbolized, that was literally the edge of the hell. And Jesus is saying, right here, I'm going to build my church. See, Jesus has invaded the enemy's territory, if you will, and has established his church right here. These are not walls of defense. And the church should never be on defense. The church needs to be on offense, storming the gates of hell. And as scriptures say, pull people out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. That's our mission. That's our mission. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for calling us out. To be set apart, to be holy, to be the salt and light of this world. Not to separate ourselves from the world through God, but to be the salt and the light, to be in the world and not of the world. That people can look to us and they'll see a difference in us. And we acknowledge it's nothing we have done. It's all the change happens because of you. You alone can transform the human body. You alone can save men, women, boys, and girls' souls. What a wonderful, awesome responsibility you've given us. Help us to be faithful and living out that call. And remind us, dear God, throughout the coming days and weeks, how the church is still struggling today and is so desperately needed. Continue to draw us close to your side. Mold us and shape us in the men and women power to be. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. John Pastor Jim. You know, we, uh, we ask the Lord to bless us, but uh, uh, God calls us to bless Him also. So, uh, we've been blessed this past week with New Life. Pastor Jim. That's right. I know the girl. <laughs> and wife, wife Tammy, we're blessed with the little girl. Thank you, Lord. And uh, make sure they have that grandchild. It's not hard. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise, brother. <laughs> children, we have others coming along the way. Keep them in your prayers. Coach Corey and Courtney. Thank you, Lord.
it's the noonday dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the end comes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul. I'll worship Your holy name. Rich in love, and you're slow to anger. Your name is great, and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing. Ten thousand reasons for my heart to find. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. On that day when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. I'll worship Your holy name. Yes, I'll worship your home.